This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's, it's, it's time to talk that talk, and we talk it like no one else. This is the stinking truth. Now, here's your host, Mark Schlereth. Hey, welcome to the Stink Truth Podcast. I'm Mark Schlereth alongside Mike Evans. It's the leftover podcast from my game yesterday uh, between the uh, Washington Commanders and the Miami Dolphins live from Washington, D.C., the nation's capital at the Salamander Hotel. I highly suggest you swing on by. Uh, great food, great drinks, and an uh, unbelievable room. So, by the way, at this hotel in the last two days, um, everybody, they're hosting the Kennedy Awards from the Kennedy oh, Center. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I saw Barry Gibb. Um, you know, from the BG brother, the BGs, the not the BG brothers, but the BGs, BG the Gibb brothers, brothers. <laughs> the BGs. So uh, we were he's staying alive, which is good. Good, um, good, yes, good to hear. Good, good. <laughs> and then uh, who else was here? Queen Latifah was here. Uh, okay. I did not see her, but we heard that she was here. Uh, Billy Crystal, who was honored uh, Lifetime Achievement Award. Uh, apparently, I think he was here. We saw Herbie Hancock. Right, not to be confused with John Hancock. Herbie no. Hancock actually signed the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> um, who else did we see? Uh, other famous people that I know are famous, but I don't know who they are because I don't really pay attention to pop culture. So that was uh, that was cool. So anyhow, that uh, that is where I'm at. But but we got that Washington Miami game, and uh, Miami. Just absolutely open a can of whoop ass on Washington. Before we before we get into the game, I, I gotta know: Did you what kind of meeting and what kind of uh, exchange did you have with your former ball boy with the Broncos, Mike McDaniel? Yeah, it was it was good, man. He's a very like he's a very thoughtful. He you know, takes his time. We met. Gosh, we were in there for thirty some odd minutes, 35, 40 minutes. Um, Took a picture with Mike McDaniel. It was awesome. Um, But, you know, just really a lot of a a lot of football philosophy, but also just a lot of kind of life philosophy. And the cool thing to see kind of where he's ended up, obviously, you know, I remember like I had no idea. I did a bunch of San Francisco games when he was coaching there. I had no idea who – I didn't know who he was. I never met with him. Um, I knew the name, and I knew he was on Mike Shanahan's staff. But until he got the head coaching job and they ran that piece, they ran a, a, a kind of a piece on Channel 9 in Denver um, mm-hmm. about Mike McDaniel being our ball boy. And as soon as they showed the pictures, they're like, oh, my God, that's – I remember him like it was yesterday. And so um, it was really it was really cool – to kind of reminisce about his time as a ball boy. And one of the things that was really interesting is how he kind of cataloged all that information. 
So he said, you know, I was always hanging around. I was in the locker room and I was cleaning up and doing the things that I was required to do. But he goes, I always heard players talking about kind of coaches and, and practice and plays and all this stuff. And he goes, you know, I was just a fly on the wall. They didn't care about me. So I got the real insight into how players felt about certain things. And he goes, and I just kind of filed that away and documented that if I ever get this chance to, you know, to get where he's at, because that was his desire. Um, I'm going to remember all this stuff that I heard as kind of this fly on the wall. And oh, go ahead, Mike. Well, I was just gonna, I'm just kind of curious because you, you talked about really getting a chance to talk philosophy as a coach life. you you talk to a lot of coaches. This guy just feels like something different than what we're, we're accustomed to seeing as football fans. So what, what stands out about the way he views things that stood out to you? Yeah, I, I well, one, he's just genuinely authentic. Like, he is, you know, he, he, he embraces his nerdiness. Um, it's kind of who he is. Um, he's all about it. Um, but he's very, he, he's a very thoughtful, like, here's how we're going to exploit a certain aspect of the game. This is the way we're going to attack a certain aspect of the game. Um, very thorough, very smart that way. But I tell you, is I think the thing about watching them, Mike, is one, they're the most outside the number football team I've ever watched play. They are the closest thing to a video game that you will watch play football. They, they, they're like a Madden video game. Yeah. Um, but that said, that is kind of a backdrop and all that speed that you have to account for. What what people don't really recognize is they will beat you. They'll beat you down. They are a big physical athletic football team. And so you get so enamored with getting to the edge and stopping them and and taking away their speed that they'll hit you downhill and they'll just beat you up. I mean, they they just have the ability at one point, you know, they're, they've got the game in hand. They get into four minute offense with, I don't know what it was, 11 minutes left. And they they ran the ball 11 straight times to score, or 11 or 12 straight times, just bam, 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 outside, inside, outside, inside, um, ball handling stuff. You know, to, and they're the number two team in, in the National Football League as far as shifts and motions right behind San Francisco. Um, so almost 80% of their plays, they're going to shift, they're going to motion. They're going to just try to gain two or three you know, two or three feet, maybe eight inches of real estate on you to create an angle, and um, and they're going to snap the ball, and they're going to beat you to that point. So they do a great job with all that stuff. But I think, like, going back to Mike McDaniel, as part of the Broncos in 97 and 98, winning back-to-back championships, one of the things he mentioned to me was our group up front and how it always – it always impressed upon him. You want to win championships. You have to have a dominant offensive line. You have to dominate the trenches. And so that really resonated with him. So all that eye candy, all that explosiveness, all that over the top stuff to Tyreek and to Jalen Waddle and all those guys. The bottom line is 
you can't do that if you can't dominate a line of scrimmage. And he said that was always the thing that impressed him about the Broncos 97 and 98 is just how good we were up front. And that allowed us to do all the things that, that we were doing. And so also fun to talk to him about Mike, the influence of Mike Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan, the OCD nature of those two and, <laughs> and how, you know, how just that has influenced him and the attention to detail that, that you have to have. But I think the thing that was most impressive is this guy has, I mean, this guy has gone from ball boy to intern to doing whatever he had to do to getting booted out and working his way back in like he is you know he's done it with no money no sleep no whatever no fanfare and um he just keeps keeps grinding and it's a it's a great story man it's a really cool story and i i just enjoyed the heck out of sitting down with him and talking to him i'm I'm curious uh Watching Tyreek Hill play in person, is it similar to watching him on TV? Yeah, yeah, he does. He just, I mean, he just closes cushion. Like, you can be 12 yards off and think you've got a great cushion. And before you know it, he's on your toes. Like, and then you're like, when he gets on you, he gets on your toes, you're you're screwed. There is nothing you can do. He is like, he's got that much speed and athleticism. Um, Jalen Waddle's got all kinds of speed and athleticism as well. They're running backs. Um, Devon Achan. Achan has got. So I was talking to a coach. You remember John Embry, who was coach for the Buffs, and John has been around the league for a long time. He said in practice the other day, because they wear the monitors, the speed monitors, and he said that Jalen Ramsey was flying to try to catch um, Devon Achan, um, trying to catch him in practice and just grinding and hit a 20, he hit 22.6 miles an hour in the practice field. And he said Achan was gliding at 23 and not even, not even, not even pushing just gliding at 23 miles an hour. They, I mean, they have just – their speed is is incredibly evident on on tape. But, again, it comes down to – Mostert is really fast. It comes down to they're all – they'll all play with a physical nature to them um, that that is shocking when you have that kind of athleticism and that kind of speed. Did the, did the subject come up of you guys have beaten a lot of bad teams or average teams – but you've struggled against the above average teams. Mm-hmm. Was that, was that subject broached and how was it answered? Yeah. I mean, it's, it was broached and it's one of those things. Hey man, you know what? Um, that's, that's our story right now. And, and we get it. And that's the narrative that's out there and until we change it, you know, it's going to remain out there, but they have created a culture there that really is about, Hey man, um, they celebrate other successes and they get excited when other guys score and they get excited about, you know, that aspect of their football team. So um, that's a real big thing. You know, it was really funny. Um, Mike McDaniel brought up our loss to Jacksonville in 1996 because he grew up here in, in Colorado and he was part of our, you know, he's a ball boy for us the next two years. And, and 
talking about how that, how we always talked about it, how we always talked about, you know, us losing that game and we'd be in practice and having a, you know, a couple of bad plays or bad practice and, and that would come up in the huddle like, hey man, don't, let's not pull a Jacksonville now. Let's, you know, let's make sure we get our, our shit together. And he said that was a big influence on him and he started out the week as he prepared to play Washington Going back to last year's December, they end up losing five of six games. They won the last game of the season against the Jets to sneak their way back in the playoffs. But it's the first thing he brought up come December. And he said it's because of, of the impact that the Jacksonville loss had on you guys as Broncos and me as the ball boy hearing that all the time. We just addressed it like, hey, man, we don't want that feeling again. So let's take care of our December this year, unlike what we did last year. And he goes, that scar is real. It's real to the players. So <clears throat> pretty, you know, pretty cool to be able to take that stuff when you're 15 or 16 or whatever and catalog, you know, catalog it and say, hey, man, this is how when I get a chance, this is how I'm going to coach my team. Tua, just uh, curious to hear what that conversation, that time spent with, uh, with, with him was like. Um, one of the most enjoyable production meetings I've ever been a part of. Mm. You, you talk about just really honest, um, vulnerable, um, you know, playing with great confidence, um, has really become one of the best anticipatory throwers in football, you know, just throwing it to a window and, um, and you know, trusting that his guys are going to be there. A couple, just a couple takeaways that I think are very interesting. Um, I mentioned one of them on the broadcast. One of them, I probably mentioned both of them in the broadcast, but um, said when Mike McDaniel came in, he put a cut-up tape of all of Tua's great throws and not only showed them to Tua, but showed them to the team. Because Tua had lost some confidence in his first two years in the NFL. And he said, it wasn't up to my standard. I had lost some confidence. And it was having that belief in you as a football player where Mike McGann go, dude, like he said, the first thing he got was a tape of all the out routes he had thrown. He goes, these outs are like on point, on time, on the money. Like, and, and two is like, well, everybody can throw an out route. And he goes, not like this they can. Not everybody can throw an out route like this. And so it was not only selling Tua on how good he was, but selling the team on how good Tua was potentially and how good he could be. Um, and, and it's amazing what happens to you as a player or what happens to you as a person if you just have somebody that believes in you, right, and really believes in you, how powerful that is. So I thought that was really kind of a big, for me, a big storyline. And, and Tua's admission that, man, I'd lost a bunch of confidence. And Mike McDaniel really helped me kind of garner that confidence again. The other thing I thought was really interesting, and I've never heard anybody talk about this. So I asked him about adjusting the timing of his throws based upon having Jalen Waddell and, and Tyreek Hill, two of the fastest guys on the planet, on his football team. And he said he has really sped up his drops to match those guys' speed. So the timing of a route combination is faster when Tyreek is running it or when right. Jalen Waddle's running it than when everybody else is. So he goes, I actually sped my footwork up to, you know, we're running curl flat. We're running, 
double slants. We're running, you know, what, whatever it is, is slant drag, you know, whatever, whatever we're running, I've sped my feet up on my drops to match those two. And then he said, now if my primary is a different target, if it's river Craycraft or if it's Jeff Wilson, or if it's, uh, you know, Cedric Wilson, or if it's, uh, you know, Chase Claypool, then I slow my feet down accordingly based on those guys running routes. So I just found that, I found that fascinating. Like, man, I speed my feet up when I'm throwing a Tyreek Hill because he's just, he's out of his break so, you know, so dang quickly um, that I have to speed up. So I've made that the standard and then I adjust everybody else. Washington, uh, is it just, are we watching the, the, the final death throes of this franchise under Ron Rivera? Is it, did you be yeah. around? Did you just get the feeling like this thing is just spiraling? It not so much spiraling Mike, but it like when I was there early in the season, man, there was some energy to the practice and, you know, and there was some belief that we could go somewhere. And obviously this time it didn't feel that same way. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that I disagree with, and I really like Eric Bieniemy. There's a lot of things that I would disagree with as a football player um, based upon that offense, the fact that they throw the ball almost 70% of the time. Um, they lead the league in throwing it with a young quarterback. I just – I don't agree with that. I, I don't believe in that. Um, some of it's personnel-wise. Every tight end they have is six foot five and 250 pounds and really can't block. So like every guy is built the same, like it's, it's this cookie cutter and I don't mind guys being built the same, but I would like them to have different skill sets, right? I'd like to have some versatility in that. Um, They don't, they have a fullback on their roster, but they don't use him. He was inactive yesterday. He's been a little bit banged up um, in Alex Arma, but you can't, that offense, you can't – you don't have the personnel to get heavy to get big and get fat people on the field, which I think is always important, right? Get some fat guys on the field, slow their defense down, and, and let's play that game. See if we can get a matchup. If we can condense and get big and you get big to match us, but we still have skill that can beat you, <clears throat> that to me is is something that they, they don't have the option to do. They can't do that. So – I really like Sam Howell. I think Sam Howell has a chance to be really good. I don't think you're giving him the best opportunity to be good based upon the offense and the personnel that you have. I will say this. I think receiving-wise with Dotson, with McLaurin, with uh, Samuel, I think you're as good as there is in the NFL with those three guys. Deami Brown can play. I think you've got some some players <clears> – <throat> But again, I think I think you need I think you need to take some of the pressure off that quarterback. I, I don't I don't know that um, I know Terry McLaurin didn't have a catch yesterday. I think it's only the second time in like eighty seven games or something he didn't get a catch. Um, said he got a lot of cardio in. Yeah, he said he got a lot of cardio in. But I will tell you again, it just goes to show you the construction of the Miami Dolphins. They went out and traded for. Ramsey, they've got Xavier Howard on the other side. Um, and I talked to a couple guys who said, I think that's the best tandem of corners in the National Football League. 
And, and Ramsey, let me tell you, Ramsey's a dog. <clears throat> so I was talking to one of the Miami coaches pregame and, and said, Ramsey, like, go, Ramsey plays our scout team because he wants to cover Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill. He's like, that's how I'll hone my skill set is right. to cover those two guys in practice. Sure. So he wants the challenge of doing that. And, and this coach was just like, this dude's straight up a dog, man. He's like, he's like knocking out rookies going, no, 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 man. I'm going to play some scout team right now right. because I want this. And like, you just don't see, you don't see that. I guarantee you I never got in the scout team because I wanted some extra reps or I wanted, <laughs> I, I wanted a bigger challenge. Right. That, like I wasn't built that way. I was like, no, thanks. You guys can handle that. So, um, yeah, he's a, they, they're, they're a really solid roster, but, um, yeah, I think that there's going to be, you know, massive overhauls toward the end of the season here in Washington. Final thought on Washington. Cause it is about moving forward. Big picture. Um, you know, feel bad for this current coaching staff, but they got into this business. But did you get a chance to visit with any of the ownership, new ownership, and did you get a sense of, you know, where this thing is going and what would your message be to Commander fans about the the new ownership and yeah. what you can rely upon, I guess? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get to see anybody. I didn't see the owner. I didn't see Magic. Normally I see Magic um, when, because normally he's here at the game. Uh, I didn't see anybody. So, no, I didn't get to talk okay. to ownership. But, uh, you know, I feel like this ownership is is taken over. Other franchises took over Phil Wing and kind of helped rectify that situation. So I, I, I do think um, that they will take their time and they'll make what they think is the best decision to move this franchise forward. So um, I do think they're in good hands in that regard. But, um, you know, that always comes with some tough decisions that have to be made. All right, this being the Leftovers broadcast, uh, Washington, Miami, anything else that you wanted to get out that you didn't get a chance to during the broadcast from your big big sheets there? Um, let me just look at my – I'm going to look at my yeah, there sheet it is. here. Let me just look at this. Um, no, I, I, will, I will say this, um, and it did not – it did not work for Washington, although it worked a couple times, but Tua – was so good, Tua was so good in the pocket making guys miss that he was able to extend plays and, and make plays outside of the pocket. But you go back and look at the games they have lost, Miami's lost, and there's a formula. And so here it is. Um, go look at the games they've lost. What they've been able to do is essentially take their linebackers and nickel guys and, and their underneath coverage and panic drop into windows. And what I mean by panic drop is I'm talking about opening up and just flying to a spot, right? Backpedaling to a spot and getting in that spot where they like to throw those windows, almost a spot drop, but it mean it has got to be now. <clears throat> and if you can take away that first window throw and make two a pull the ball down, you've got a chance to get them, um, you know, to, to get him on the ground, to sack him, to make him throw an incompletion. Um, and the teams that have done that well, Philadelphia did it. Kansas City did it really well. Um, their three losses, those teams have done exactly that. And it's a combination of, you know, 
dropping off a defensive end into a hole, you know, into into a sweet spot, and then bringing the the nickel corner off the edge, and you know, dropping a D tackle and bringing a, a different blitzer, so you can you can edge their offensive line, get them in protection issues, and you know, you get to Tua um, after he comes off that first throw that he did. I mean, he gets rid of the ball and. And on average, he's the lowest in the league at like 2.1 seconds per throw. And so if you can affect those kind of, you know, they referred to him, Ron Rivera and and, uh, and Cody Barton referred to him, get in those honey holes. Um, <laughs> you know, you get in the honey holes, you can um, – I had to change it from just I, – I called it a honey hole, but I, I referred to on the broadcast the 100-acre wood. I go, that's kind of where Pooh Bear – likes to hang out in that honey hole, right? <laughs> so if you can get to that honey hole um, and and pull, make him pull that first kind of throw, you you got a chance to you got a chance to do something. But um, really easy to talk about, hard to do, and they did it a couple times yesterday. That would have been perfect. Um, but then Tua made the you know Tua made the pass rusher miss and then made a play. So um, and the other thing you can't do, and Washington did this on several occasions. You can't get let Tyreek Hill get behind you, because when he gets behind you, that's a touchdown. So anyhow, well, I want to congratulate you on uh, today's podcast because with the piano playing in the background, definitely the classiest podcast yes. we've ever done. So <laughs> yeah. I, I I like the touch, nice touch, nice mm. touch. Make you sure you, it, make sure you drop a couple of dollars in his uh, his little cognac. Uh, glass yes. over there on the yeah, I'll go over there and say hey listen I just want you to know that was beautiful that was beautiful <laughs> uh, alright for everybody involved in the secret podcast we appreciate you guys for Mike I am Mark and we'll be back with you later on Mike we'll talk to you later man I'll see you tomorrow